Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. With me today, Jay Harvey. How are you, Jay? Merry Christmas, Jim. I'm great. How are you? Hey, same right back at you. And you know what, Jay? One of the things that has enriched my Christmas seasons over mm-hmm. many years mm-hmm. has been a production of The Christmas Carol that right. uh, you and I both engaged for yes. uh, many years at our local church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thousands of people over the years came to see that. I, I, no. I think I saw a number once, like 75,000 people over wow. its run actually showed up to see our production of A Christmas Carol. Well, then and I didn't get paid enough. Oh, wait, <laughs> yeah, nobody got right. paid. That's nobody right. got paid. Actually, it was a benefit. I mean, it's so appropriate. Right. It was a benefit for a women's and children's shelter. That's and right. That Charles Dickens would have loved that, I think. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus would have loved that. And that's what we're here to talk about today a little bit, is A Christmas Carol is a, a standalone classic in mm-hmm. all of literature, and certainly at Christmas. Yes. And it also has deep, deep roots in the gospel of Jesus. And we're here to tell you that as you're watching A Christmas Carol this year, and you will, you're gonna hear the story again, we want you to think about where it came from and what is some of the truth. It's not just a story you can predict the outcome, it's a story that actually can speak into your life right here, right now, I promise. Charles Dickens was a genius, don't you mm-hmm. think? I do. I mean, come on. He wrote a whole catalog of books that are still anchors of English literature. Yes. Uh, he was a best-selling author, and he also was a celebrity. And many people have said he was the first celebrity of all time. By that I mean, by that they mean, I think, the observers, that before Dickens, people were famous because they may have been in the nobility or a member of the royal family, or maybe they were the prime minister or the president. You know, they had a political station or government post, and that's how people knew them. But there were not sports stars. There were not stage and screen stars or recording artists in the way that we take for granted now. There were some people who were on stage, but they didn't have the fame Right. And and the kind of the popular adulation that we now kind of associate with people that show up in People magazine. You know, that's a fascinating thought because I'm I'm thinking now when I when you put that into perspective like you just did, Dickens had the way of writing to tap into something in people to inspire them. That's why he became famous. There was nothing else really like that at, at the moment, right? I mean, they were supposed to revere nobility. But, but he had a way to reach in, like some performers do today, and and tap into the heart. And because he was doing that at that time, he became the first celebrity. Well, he had a way of connecting to ordinary life right. and appealing to the masses by bringing to the surface in his storytelling their own world. And he also wrote with a cause. His, mm-hmm. his fiction was not just to entertain. It did entertain. Mm-hmm. But he designed it to move people to act and think differently. I mean, it's extraordinary. But the other part of his celebrity status was he also became so well-known as an author that he then had the genius of setting up a performance of his work in the mm-hmm. sense that he would become a reader of his own literature. Think about a world where there... It's not television, there's no online, there's, there's no film. All you have is print media and you have live theater. And he transitioned his print fiction into live theater simply by being a narrator. And he made a fortune and spoke to thousands on stage live 
simply reading A Christmas Carol. That's amazing. So then people, they didn't just get a book that had the name Charles Dickens on it. You you could read Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, who would be kind of a contemporary, but he was not a celebrity in the way that Dickens was. People paid money to see Dickens in person. Yeah, I, it, you know, this is great because it puts everything in perspective for me. I just re-released a book I wrote a few years ago called The Jesus Tattoo. I, I'm trying to figure out now how I would uh, market myself to go sit down and read that to a live audience. I might get my family and maybe, you know, my neighbor, but that's about it. Um, but in Dickens' time, that was the thing. It was a deal. And he, on both sides of the Atlantic... He was a phenomenal. All that to say, he was hugely influential. He was brilliant. He was a genius. But where did that come from? His own childhood was unstable. His dad went to debtor's prison. He was forced to work in a factory for long hours every day without a day off at the age of 12. He doesn't get to go to school until he's in his mid-teens. Then he becomes a voracious reader. Ultimately, he gets a low-end job writing, but pretty soon he becomes this global mm. celebrity. I'm saying wow. his story is itself yep. a kind of Oliver Twist, a David Copperfield, (laughs) a great expectation story. But in all of that, where did the genius come from? What makes him so extraordinary? Why are his characters so still living in our our imagination? When I say the name Ebenezer Scrooge, what do you see? Oh, a greedy old man who's yelling at everybody. If I say the name Bob Cratchit, who do you see? Oh, just a a salt-of-the-earth fellow that has a great attitude and... And cares for his family. Well, I mean, there you have it. I mean, everybody gets these same conclusions. That's the power of Dickens' pen and voice. Ah, but why? Mm. Why was Dickens so influential? I think there are two causes. One, he was a very keen observer of the world around him. He lived on both sides of the street, in poverty and in wealth. He walked down the streets and he saw people. He noticed details. So his literature is filled with details. And so he excelled Mm. at recreating the world of his time in a way with characters that people could relate to because he saw them on the street. Ah, but here's the second thing, and perhaps most fundamental to me. Dickens was a keen student of Scripture. His own spiritual journey is somewhat tortured and has some complicated twists and turns. He was a family man until he really hung out with a woman who was not his wife. <laughs> but he was still loving his kids, and he I think he was tortured in some of his relationships in that way. He had a sense of guilt about some of that. You can see all that in the pathos of his writing. But he also had a profound respect and saw Jesus as a magnetic figure and accepted Jesus as the Lord, as as. God in human form, as the revealer of truth. And in his dive into Scripture, he then found ideas and truths that he brought to life in his fiction. And this, my friends, I'm thinking, is the story of A Christmas Carol. Right. It's not just about Christmas, the birthday of Jesus. It's about what Jesus came to do in this world and what we should do about it and how we find life and emphasizes to us that life here is a chapter of a longer life that has a future in eternity. And all of that is wrapped up in the biblical, gospel-grounded ideas of A Christmas Carol. Oh, you're thinking, oh, come on, not really. Well, you know, Jim, you're actually right. 
And, and some scholars and some have uh, connected this story and Dickens' writing um, to a moment or several moments of him taking in the scriptures, particularly Luke 16, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which to me makes perfect sense after I read through the parable itself. Well, I'm the parable. So Dickens is one of the greatest storytellers ever to have published a book, but the greatest storyteller of all time is Jesus. No doubt. Jesus changed the world by what he did and by what he said. Right. And in so doing, he used stories. So Jesus tells parables. Name a famous parable besides the one you oh, just called. I love the parables. The parable of the prodigal son. Oh, prodigal son. Let's just stop right there. Yeah. When we say the prodigal son, it's a part of our vocabulary. Even people who don't pay attention to Jesus and don't care anything about the Bible, they've heard of the prodigal son. They, they, hear, they know the story. They identify the characters, the Good Samaritan, well, another one. Good Samaritan, stop right there. Right. Again, everybody knows what that is. Right. Everybody knows what that story is because Jesus was the superlative, the supreme storyteller. Mm. Dickens took his cues from Jesus. That's what I believe. He was a phenom because he so closely replicated the storytelling genius of Jesus right. and, and captured the same truths. And A Christmas Carol does that. And the parable you've named right. is one that, yeah, like when you say that, Jay, I just think, yes, that makes sense mm -hmm. because the story is so much in parallel. The rich man and Lazarus Scrooge and Cratchit. Yes. I mean, there they are. But also, at Dickens' funeral, when he passed away, and the whole of the English-speaking world and beyond stopped mm -hmm. to pay tribute to this f first celebrity of, of all right, time, right. he is honored at a funeral service in London where the presiding pastor uses as his text what? Luke chapter 16. Wow. Because his contemporaries, the people who knew Dickens best, associated this parable right. with his own life and inspiration. Mm -hmm. Well, Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 19, started off. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there, Longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would actually come and lick his open sores. I mean, that picture right there, you know exactly what you're looking at. You know exactly the difference in status. And so there's no place to hide in, in this parable. It goes on to say, finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried. And he went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over from us to there. Ah, then the rich man said back, but please, 
Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Mm. Jesus speaking. Jesus himself is going to rise from the dead. And it's still not enough to persuade Mm -hmm. some who also have access to the scriptures to help them hear what Jesus said, to repent of their sins, to turn around. To repent means to turn your life into a new direction, to stop going the way you have been going and to go to a new place. Then they will repent. If someone from the dead rises and comes, and Jesus did exactly that. This story, though, it's just like yells at me Mm -hmm. about a Christmas carol. One thing that really struck me as you were reading uh, part of this text, Jay, was that when the rich man is engaging this conversation with Abraham, and and he's suffering, he's in torment, he's in a place of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we observed this last week that you know that must be the worst part about hell mm. is that it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. There is just no way out. The realization that this is my constant state of conscious being for ever, without end. That is the terrifying reality. And where did we get that picture from? This is Jesus talking. This is the story that Jesus told mm-hmm. as a warning, as a cautionary tale for all of us. But anyway, as as the rich man is in this torment and he's, he's calling out to Abraham across a chasm that no one can cross, and he's begging for pity, and he's asking for help, and, and Abraham replies by saying, but son... Mm-hmm. Remember. Remember. Whoa. Mm-hmm. In a way, this is even more heartbreaking. Remember your life. You had everything you wanted. There was so much good that you had, and Lazarus didn't have that. Now he has that. This idea of remembering is key to this parable because the rich man can only come to terms with the reality of his scenario when he remembers. After that, he kind of surrenders to the truth. And now he begins to care about others. Too late, sadly, but he begins to care about his brothers and those he left behind. Now, let's go to the Christmas carol. Right. I mean, here we are. Right. Think about the story. We all understand that Ebenezer Scrooge, who is a desperate character who is self-preoccupied, who believes that he has earned his wealth and does not have any obligation to share it, The people who do not have means have somehow chosen their poverty, and because of their laziness or their lack of ability or desire, ambition, or whatever, that they just didn't want to climb out of it hard enough or or whatever it was, that they were a lesser class. I mean, this is the story of Scrooge. This is the rich man with Lazarus outside the front door. And, And then he's visited in the night in a dream by a series of visitors, spirits, 
And what do the spirits do, Jay? I mean, what what actually is happening? They're taking Scrooge on a journey, and what's the journey about? Well, they're showing him his his life. They're showing his him his choices, his <laughs> memories. They're, they're they're saying, "Hey, remember, hey Scrooge, hey rich man, right? Remember." And he has a kind of out of body experience where he can look back on his life. You and I have both been on stage bringing the Christmas Carol to life, Jay. Mm-hmm. And there's some really powerful moments. Now, our production that we, you and I were in was a musical. Right. There's some really extraordinary music in that piece. Absolutely. And there are moments when the music, I can just remember, because I played Scrooge a few times. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't have to manufacture emotion right. because I was able to step into that moment. And there's a place where he remembers his fiancee. Mm-hmm. Uh, a woman named Belle, and and it was when he was a young man, and he was looking at his whole life ahead of him, and and she loved him, and and he loved her, mm-hmm. but she saw that he was becoming more and more greedy, and it bothered her, until at last she gives the ring back and says, mm-hmm. you know, I'm done. And then in the production we were part of, there's a song where he right. he stands and he right. watches her dance away, and. And it's so crushing because it's that lost moment. I can't recover that. It's, it's over. And yet I, I also find comfort in the realization there was once a moment in my heart right. where I knew how to love. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are other memories. Can you think of one more memory that Scrooge has? Oh, well, there's a scene with his sister, and, and um, he's remembering that. And, and as you were speaking, I, I'm, I'm thinking this is part of the, the genius of, of Dickens, is he puts regrets right in front of your face. But that's not the end of the story. As long as we have breath, as long as we have life, we have a chance to make a different choice that doesn't remove those regrets, but gives us hope. That right there sums up almost the entire story of A Christmas Carol. And the story of the gospel of Jesus. Right, exactly. That, that your memory can be harnessed to bring you to a better place. Right, right. And you can find life even as you recall, there are some things that you wish you had not done. Exactly. One of the things about the Christmas Carol is the way in which memory helps change Scrooge. Mm-hmm. His heart is, is made more tender as he recalls. All of us live through moments, and we make choices, and sometimes the wrong choices. And in the moment, it's something that gives us energy. I, I want to do this, even though right. it may not be the right thing to do, or I'm going to do this, or I did do this, and I'm not even conscious of, of the harm it caused to someone else, and I, I just drove right by it. But in memory, we are able to reflect, and we see the bigger picture. That's what happens in A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Scrooge has a moment where he is able to process the reality of the choices he's made, how it robbed him of his future and harmed others around him. And right. it, it is filled with regret, as you described. But folks, this Christmas, it's a time to stop and remember. It's time to look back over the year. How did your year go? Are there things in your year that you remember now that you regret? Or maybe past Christmases or over a lifetime. And your memories can be sometimes painful because I wish I hadn't left my wife Mm -hmm. and my kids at Christmas. Or... I wish I had been more honest in my job, or I wish I had not been so hot-headed that I just swung at that guy, or whatever it is. There are all a hundred things, a thousand things that we can remember that can cause us to have regret, but the Christmas Carol doesn't stop there. Yeah, Jim, and it doesn't end there. Um, It has a happy ending, as do all of Dickens' work. Uh, 
even as I was saying earlier, you face your regrets, you face those painful memories, and, and it's hard to remember. But then it's grounded in the gospel, so there's hope. That's how he wrote, and that's how he tapped into so many people's hearts. And all of his narratives, all of his fiction ends this way. People have choices. Dickens was profoundly committed to the idea we have choices. He knew what it was to be poor. He knew how it was to be disadvantaged. And he knew what it was like for people to be wealthy. Mm -hmm. And he understood in poverty and in wealth, we make choices. And we must make choices that allow us to tap into the generosity of our spirit, to the love and compassion that God formed in us that is often fossilized and made hard and stone and pushed to the side. But no, when you see the Christ of Christmas, when you come into contact with Jesus, your true original self, the person that God intended when he created you can surface. And you can review your memory and realize how often you've missed the mark. Sometimes that's a way of describing sin. You missed it. But there's still a future. There's a new day. As long as you have a day, you can avoid the fate of Jacob Marley. You can avoid the fate of the rich man. You can avoid the fate of people who did not know how to love and did not know how to follow Jesus. This Christmas, you can make a memory. In the story of A Christmas Carol, Scrooge turns around. He wakes up from his dream and it's Christmas morning and he realizes, I still have one more day at least. Right. I can right. do this different. I can play this hand differently. And he finds joy in life and laughter. He lets go of his greed. He begins to give things away. He begins to think about other persons. He begins to celebrate the Christ of Christmas. He says, famously... He lived in such a way, this is what Dickens writes about Scrooge at the end, he lives in such a way that every day was like Christmas, yeah. that yeah. Jesus was born fresh and new, and that there was hope for today and hope for eternity in Christ, folks. Mm. Make that memory this Christmas for all the pandemic, for all the economic challenges, for all the physical losses, for all of the political tensions, for all of the dark clouds on the horizon, for all the question marks. It's Christmas. Jesus is born, and you can choose Jesus. Who in this world will you bless this year? And how will Jesus bless you as you surrender into his will, his work, and his way? Start with us. Pray right now with us. You can. Our Father, we're so thankful today for the Christ of Christmas, for Christmas itself, which is a marker and in the long calendar of the year, it's a time when we stop and remember, Jesus was born, that you came into this world in the person of your son, God with us, Emmanuel, born in Bethlehem in poverty, on the wayside, where nobody would notice, where people drove by because, well, the family of Jesus wasn't all that important, and yet nobody more important than Jesus. We're thankful for all the ways in which Christmas brings this to mind and in all the tinsel and all the lights and all the music and all the gift-giving and all the what-might-have-beens and what-could-bes. This Christmas, help us to find Jesus. And as we do, may we find him also among the poor and among those who are in need. May we make memories, Lord, that can rebuild our lives. May we, by the power of Jesus in us, transforming us, surrendered into his hand, by faith, may we make memories this Christmas that will long live for the way they blessed. 
I surrender my Christmas, Lord, to you, but more. I surrender my life to you. Make of me, Lord, a follower of Jesus for eternity's sake. In his name I pray, amen. Amen. I can pray for myself. You have to pray for yourself. You can join us in a prayer. But when it comes to making choices, only you can make those choices. If you want to know more about how to make that choice this Christmas, give us a call. We have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, toll-free line. This is the number. Call us up, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. Please, let us hear from you. But I know, Jay, not everyone will call. Right. How can they find us online? Easily, Jim, at www.cbhviewpoint.org. That's it. CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's exactly who we are. cbhviewpoint.org. You can read about the ministry there. Also, you can send us a message. We will reply. Maybe you're accessing this broadcast already through a social media stream. And if so, just send us a message in that stream. We're monitoring it, I promise, and we'll get back to you. Or if you prefer, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us up, check us out online, use social media, or use the post, this Christmas, let us hear from you. Jay Harvey, you just make me feel like I'm going back in time to Scrooge World. I'm telling you. It's so good to see you. You too. Thanks for having me. And Merry Christmas. And same back at you. And to all of our audience, thank you for joining us. We hope you'll join us again next week when we once again revisit A Christmas Carol for Jesus' sake. But until then, for all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned. And Merry Christmas.